The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Is the United States about to run out of money? Why Sky is a bad investment for the Murdochs? And delving into the world of water. These are the issues we'll be tackling later in this week's Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm Jennifer Saba, and joining me here is my co-host, Anthony Curry. Hello, Anthony. Hi, Jen. Rupert Murdoch's bid to buy the rest of Sky he doesn't already own looks even less rational than when he tried to do this the first time in 2010. On the line, we have Liam Proud, our Breaking Views columnist from London. Liam, welcome to the program. Hi, Bo. Thanks for having me. Okay, Liam, you know, as we said earlier, this deal uh, happened in December. Uh, it's still in the news. What, what, what's the most recent development uh, going on right now with Sky and, and Fox? Sure. So the state of the deal at the moment is that it's, it's sort of bogged down in the regulatory process. But the reason I'm looking at it at the moment is that one of Sky's kind of high-profile shareholders is this um, infamous fund manager in the UK called Crispin O'Day, who's um, basically been saying that he doesn't think the deal is worth it um, for Sky, or it risks not being worth it for Sky shareholders if it drags on for much longer. I mean, what he said is that it looks like Fox is getting it for a cheap price, um, and the offer's starting to look a bit mean. Um, so I decided to basically try and find out if that was true. If you actually look at the the economics of, of how Sky works, and if you look at the price Fox is paying, um, is, is it a fair price or not? And I came to the conclusion that it, it probably is quite a high price, really. Okay, so in your latest column, you kind of took a, a look and you ran the numbers on uh, 21st Century Fox. That's uh, the company that's owned and controlled by Rupert Murdoch. They're basically making a second tilt at Sky, and they're trying to buy the 61% they don't own. What did you find when you were kind of diving into the numbers this time around? Sure. Um, so, I mean, as, as I think you, you hinted out already, the context is, is pretty important for, me, for this deal. I mean, this is a company that the Murdochs have wanted to own in full for an extremely long time. Murdoch or companies um, associated with him were a founding shareholder in Sky. And it was thwarted in 2012 after a pretty long, drawn-out um, regulatory process and a, a hacking scandal. Right, and part of that was because of the uh, the hacking scandal basically uh, blew up any of their chances of, of ownership, of full ownership of Sky. Yeah, the, this phone hacking scandal at his um, UK newspaper titles like The Sun and The Times of London. Um, so when, when this bid was launched again in, in December 2016, it, it was at a, a pretty high price to where the shares were trading before that. I mean, what, what, what I found when I dug into the numbers was that the, the bar to value creation in this deal is, is, is pretty high already because he's paying a 40% equity premium to Sky's uh, share price um, in December last year. Um, and, and it's not as if it's the kind of deal where you have the kind of obvious cost synergies, right, that we usually look at when you're, when you're trying to work out whether a deal makes sense or not. I mean, you'd usually look to things like, you know, two companies that are in the same country doing similar kind of things could rip out, you know, back office costs and that kind of thing. But, but it, it's kind of hard to put a number on that um, in this situation. So if you just take Sky's operating profit and kind of tax it at Fox's rate, I, I got a really low t- return on investment of, of about 4.4% for, um, for the outlier. Now, just, just put that in context for us, Liam. That's 4.4% sounds low to anyone's mind, but, but what is it that 
um, the company needs to achieve to beat its cost of capital? So the, so the way we'd usually look at this is to compare it to Sky's cost of capital, right? And that's, you know, it's kind of hard to say, but it's probably around 8%, so almost double really. And, and if you want to make up that gap between the 4.4% and the 8%, you're going to need to find about 800 million pounds or so of um, transaction-driven synergies. So that's, 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 that's about half of Sky's operating profit at the moment. Which is, which is a pretty large amount of value to, to find in a deal like this, especially when there aren't any kind of obvious cost-sharing, um, you know, expense-slashing moves you can make. Um, and Fox definitely hasn't put a number on that stuff, so, so we can't exactly work from that. So what's the point then of financially of doing this deal? Do they think they can find more revenue somehow, or is it a pure vanity play? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, right? You know, as, as I said, this is something that, that the Murdochs have, have, have wanted to do for a really long time. And kind of, you know, there's probably an argument that talking about the return on investment is almost missing the point. And expecting him him not to buy it is 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 like expecting, you know, the sun not to come up. Really, this is this this has never been considered a a natural state of affairs for them. Just owning 39% of Sky, but you can make a strategic argument for the deal. You do have this massive content war in media at the moment, where. You, you, you have an enormous return to scale. And if you just throw together Sky and Fox's balance sheets, you immediately have a company that's able to bid for much more expensive content. Um, and you also get access to Sky's existing uh, content, which it already has. There's another kind of argument that you can make, which is that Sky sells its product direct to homes. Um, it's, it's sort of unusual internationally like that. It's a, it's a content owner TV channel, which also is a direct to consumer uh, media company. Now, if you wanted to do more of that with 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 Fox in 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 the U.S., you could kind of you know the argument is that you could you could you could share some of the expertise between these two companies. And Sky's certainly been doing some interesting things there. They've been working on this technology called AdSmart, where you can call it sort of target adverts specifically at, at local demographics. But you know this this is all stuff that's quite hard to. To, to, to really value. I mean, this is these are revenue synergies, as I said, as opposed to cost synergies. And it just seems unlikely that they're going to total anything like £800 million a year, which is where I thought that you, you probably needed to hit to make this deal pay for Murdoch. Yeah. So, Liam, you know, strategically, I think it, it does make sense. I think they've made an argument for that. And then and clearly, as you've noted, they've wanted the, to own the rest of Sky for quite a while. Take us through how Sky is actually doing. I mean, where where are they uh, in terms of subscribers, how are they doing in the health of the overall market? Mm. So, so, so the main kind of metric that you want to look at for 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 Sky is the amount of retail subscribers that it's that is adding in the UK and Ireland, which is which is its main market. Okay. It also has um, quite big presences in Germany and Italy. Um, after Murdoch kind of rolled together his European prof- properties a few years ago, but that's been pretty dire, really. I mean. Since uh, June, if you look at the 12 months before June this year, Sky added about 40% fewer retail customers in the UK and Ireland than it did in the same period a year before that. that that's a drastic drop, actually. It is drastic. I mean, they, 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 they're still growing them quite fast, right? It's about 280,000 subscribers they added in that period. But the year before that, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was, I think it was about 450,000 or so. so. So that's tailing off. Um, you also have this incredible inflation in the cost of sports rights in the UK at the moment. Basically what's happened is the the biggest kind of hottest sports content property in Europe pretty much is the English Premier League, the soccer Premier League. And uh, 
BT, which is the incumbent kind of a fixed line and telecoms provider in the UK, has has come in and just started a massive bidding war with Sky for those rights. And that's 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 just ruined Sky's um, operating profit, really, because they just have to pay more and more and more for this stuff. But they also can't really duck out of these auctions because, you know, no one wants to be the Sky chief executive who loses the Premier League. Right, right. So, and, and also, just one last thing to note, um, Sky is still Sky and Fox are still waiting for regulatory approval in the UK, which it, it seemed like a slam dunk when this when this deal. Well, I, I never want to say a slam dunk, but it seemed like there the hurdles to to getting over, you know, um, passing this seemed a, a lot more likely this time around than it did, you know, obviously in 2010 after and then the phone hacking as we mentioned. But but it seems like it's taking longer than I think anybody expected. So we're still kind of waiting for this to happen. So it's kind of like yeah, I think the it's in limbo right now in terms of that. Is is that is that one way to to think about it? Yeah, I think that's basically right. I mean, essentially it's as as you said, it's it's it's, it's under regulatory uh, review at the moment. Basically, the, the the process is you have the the relevant cabinet secretary for this is is, is Karen Bradley, who's the the media secretary, and she at the moment has to decide whether or not she's going to refer this deal to a second kind of much more intensive, um, much more kind of you know invasive regulatory review by the competition specialists, um, because the initial report by the industry regulator said that there are some pretty serious concerns about this deal in terms of what they call media plurality. It essentially said, you know, if you allow 21st Century Fox to buy the bit of Sky it doesn't already own, um, the Murdochs would potentially have control over a, an unhealthy amount of the UK's media. Now, that means that it probably will go to the second review, which means we might not get any kind of closure or any kind of clarity, perhaps until early 2018. I think James Murdoch, who is Rupert's son and the Sky chairman and the Fox chief executive, um, said uh, recently on an earnings call he was looking at maybe the middle of next year for completion. Okay. But there are reasons to be slightly optimistic if you're a Fox shareholder. I mean, basically what will happen if it does go to a second regulatory review is the regulators will put forward some kind of remedies which they consider... um, like in, enough to, to make this less of a concern. Right, right. That's a couple stipulations to, to kind of pass it through. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, well, Liam, I know you'll be following this closely uh, as, it, as, as it keeps going. Um, thank you very much for coming on the show. We appreciate your time. Thank you both. Bye-bye. There is precisely one month to go until the United States hits its debt ceiling. At that point, the federal government can no longer borrow any money to fund its operations unless Congress approves an extension. But Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and other Republican lawmakers in charge on the Hill have fallen out with President Trump. And he recently threatened to veto any budget unless it contains funding for his proposed wall on the nation's southern border that he used to insist Mexico would pay for. Joining us to talk through all of this and explain why maybe, just maybe, this may actually end up with Washington coming together somewhat. We have Gina Chon on the line from DC. Hi, Gina. How are you doing? Hi, guys. I'm good. So let's just let's just start with the, with the basics here. So um, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin has been saying that basically September 29th, September 30th is when the nation hits the debt ceiling. Talk us through that, what it means, and why on earth we're having this debate. I thought we meant only have these 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 problems about raising the debt ceiling or not when it was one party in charge of the White House and another in charge of Congress. 
Why is it happening now? Yeah, you would think, given um, the GOP controls everything, that it would be fairly smooth this year, but it isn't. And there's a lot of questions about how the debt ceiling will be handled. As you say, the government will run out of funds to pay its bills um, on September 29th, the, the date that Mnuchin had set. And so they really need to scramble to figure out how to deal with this situation, and they don't have much time. Um, Congress is on its August recess right now, um, and they uh, will only have a few weeks, really, um, when they get back to resolve this problem. And there's questions of whether um, they can pass what's known as a clean debt ceiling, which means no other proposals will be attached to it, or what some of the conservatives are pushing for is having uh, spending cuts go along with any sort of debt ceiling resolution. And this just makes life incredibly complex, right? For I mean, even more so in D.C. than it has been over the past few months. And you, of course, have been suffering through the whole thing, Gina, for us. Thank you <laughs> once again for your service. Yeah. Um, but so... Put this in also in the context of the budget. Now, at, at, a, at a recent rally, um, President Trump said, I'm not going to sign anything that comes across my desk unless it provides funding for my um, southern border wall. Um, why, is he just saying this to, to, to get his base back on side or keep them on side after all the revelations and problems and allegations of previous weeks? Well, we'll see. I mean, this is a threat that I think um, others are, are taking more seriously, just given his commitment to the wall and how important he sees it in terms of um, maintaining his promises to the base. And it's something he's repeated over and over again. Um, the problem with all this on, on top of the the shutdown threat is just the confluence of these two issues um, coming together at the same time. Again, the the debt ceiling deadline is September 29th. The government, um, their 2017 fiscal year ends September 30th, just a day after. And if no new funding mechanism is approved uh, is approved to keep um, the lights on, then the government essentially closes its doors. Um, now, it could be temporary, as it has been in the past. Um, one of the last ones did last uh, two weeks long, which was um, quite extraordinary for um, markets and, and investors to deal with. So we'll see what happens this time around, but I don't think it's an empty threat. Um, Gina, going back uh, to the last time this happened, I think you've noted before that government was sort of functioning as it should, um, in theory, uh, and, and that, and, and it still happened, and there was still, still, you know, two weeks of consequences, so to speak. And now we're sort of heading into this where it just seems like there's so much infighting, even, uh, you know, among Republicans and Democrats, the whole thing just seems completely unshaky and unstable. I mean, what does that kind of say for, uh, you know, how things are going to get resolved in September? Well, that could produce an interesting twist. Um, as you and Antony were saying earlier, I mean, he Trump is angering the very Republican lawmakers he needs Um, to resolve these issues. Uh, Most recently, Republican Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, where the New York Times reported, and I've heard as well, that um, the two haven't spoken for weeks because of pretty um, contentious calls in which I think uh, the president called McConnell some names, um, berated him over his failure to pass health care 
legislation that would have um, repealed and replaced Obamacare. He's also angry about um, McConnell's failure to shut down any sort of Senate investigations into possible Trump campaign ties into Russian election meddling. So all that is just fueling the fire and and Trump's making it worse by um, also going after certain Senate Republicans like Jeff Flake, who have criticized him. And that's causing um, other uh, GOP members outside of Mitch McConnell to unite to defend them. So it's all creating a a very um, bleak picture, but that could provide some openings for then the Republican leadership to perhaps work with Democrats. So that could, in essence, force uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, who is a Democrat, to uh, to work with Mitch McConnell. Yeah, it, it could. I mean, hey, McConnell has said that there is, quote, zero well, chance that the Congress would fail to uh, raise the debt ceiling by the deadline. He definitely doesn't want to see any sort of prospect of default. Uh, Paul Ryan, his Republican counterpart in the House, also doesn't want to see any um, sort of playing around with the debt ceiling or a government shutdown. So they may be a bit more incentivized to actually work with uh, Democrats on this point, um, especially because they haven't had a win in terms of health care reform or any other major legislation. And they also don't want to make things worse, where because they are in charge, if the government shuts down, whether it's because of Trump or some other reason they are going to get blamed and that's uh, something that they also don't want to deal with. Isn't there also a flip side though I mean not not to, I'm not suggesting that this should mean we should shut down the government but from a political perspective if you're a Republican uh, in Congress you think but hang on if, if all I manage to do is is to get something done by working with Democrats doesn't that make me look really weak? I mean they, they, they have they're, they're basically in a very tough position aren't they the Republicans at the moment? Yeah it, you're right I mean it's basically um, choosing between you know the least bad choice, essentially. Um, There are pretty much no good options um, here for them, but if they do want to avoid any um, sort of backlash that could likely occur, um, because, you know, remember when the government shuts down, that means like social security offices across the country shut down. There's a whole host of services that sort of ordinary people across the country rely on that um, they wouldn't have access to anymore. So it could anger a lot of constituents as they are also looking to the uh, 2018 midterm elections. Now, of course, the, the, the other issue is how do they get this past Trump? If, for example, on the budget they send a bill that Democrats and Republicans have worked on up to the House once they've got the budget sitting sorted, or maybe at the same time, it doesn't contain financing for the wall and Trump vetoes it. Is there enough power and enough willingness to cooperate from the Democrats and Republicans to overturn the veto, which requires, what, a, a two-thirds majority in both houses, right? Yes, exactly. And that would be uh, the question of whether um, there would be enough acrimony um, between the yeah. Republican leadership that could hopefully get the Democrats on board to get them over that fence. I mean, it's been said before Trump came along when the House was uh, still controlled under Obama by the Republicans that actually um, minority leader Nancy Pelosi was the most powerful person in the House because she could help bring together Democrats that Paul Ryan could need um, when his own conservative uh, members would uh, work against him on certain pieces of legislation, most often actually relating to the budget. So if they could corral um, that same group again, then they could actually uh, override any veto that Trump could impose. 
Well, there you go. We could be looking, uh, maybe it's a long shot, but we could be looking at almost 30 years of acrimony coming to an end, at least in the short term. All because of Trump. He'll have something uh, to claim that he has finally achieved, even if it's purely because no one likes him. Gina, thanks for coming on the show yet again. We appreciate it, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Gina Chan and Liam Proud. Also, thanks to our producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. And we doff our hats, as always, to Andrew D'Antonio. Thanks are also due to you, too, for tuning in. Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com. Subscribe to The Views Room on iTunes. And please do share your opinions about our show. Join us again next week for another edition.